Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. James chapter 5 is talking about the coming of the Lord, second coming of the Lord. Um, It's talking about those that have riches and have not become rich toward God. Um, So right before we get into it, next Wednesday, the night before Thanksgiving, and historically for the last 20 or so years or more, we've not had a Wednesday night service. If you come, the building will be locked. So um, uh, just to let you know ahead of time, all right? The following day, Pastor Wayne, bless his heart, he has headed up our Thanksgiving outreach for probably the last 25 years. In other words, his Thanksgiving has been spent here at the church for the last 25 years, except maybe one he left early, I think. But uh, faithful, faithful, faithful. Alice and I have always talked about coming, but ended up with family. And this year, as it would happen, um, part of our family is in Oklahoma. That's too far and too cold. Um, And they're coming down here a little bit later. Then uh, the North Carolina kids are going to some family. And our other daughter is going to his family at that time. So we're looking at each other thinking, we have nowhere to go. Nowhere to lay our head. No end to stay in. Um, So we are like, this is great. We'll come to Thanksgiving meal. So here at the church. So I wasn't going to announce it. We were going to make a grand appearance. All right, but or slip in the side door. But anyway, I want to encourage you. If you don't have family, then um, why don't you just consider coming? Or you don't have, you have family, but no doubt. But maybe you're like us. They're going somewhere. It's their time of their year or whatever. Um, We're going to be here. And uh, we'd love to see you, Pastor Wayne. Of course, he will be here. And uh, many others. There were about 200 last year. So come and join us. Okay, let me get into this and um, pray my voice holds up. All right. Um, The first, let's go there first. All right. James, are you there? You don't have to be. We've got it on the screen. Dear Lord. There are people that only look at the Bible on their phones, and that's good, except uh, maneuvering around in a Bible may be a little bit of a challenge for some of them. Um, James chapter 5, and the first part of it talks about the rich, and um, really, in essence, it's talking about them in relationship to the coming of the Lord, and James is really coming down on the ridge and saying to the people of God that you don't want to be like this. 
because the Lord is coming back. So you don't want to focus your life and become greedy and haughty and take advantage of people and uh, focus on only being rich in this world. And as a result, uh, stand before God condemned by their own actions and their own words. So uh, James chapter 5 verse 8 says, For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Wow. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in his day before he died, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Folks, that was some 2,000 years ago. Don't you think today is more relevant than ever? Don't you realize that Jesus could come back even before this service is over? Wow, the, the, the reality of that is real. Jesus could come back before this service is over. It's, uh, it's going to be 8 o'clock pretty soon, and uh, Jesus could come by 8 o'clock. All right, if you're not right with God, don't wait for the altar call. Just go ahead and do it right now, all right, because Jesus could come at 8 o'clock. And you, um, I don't, the offering is over there somewhere in the usher's room. I mean, help yourself. You're going to need it, all right? If you don't know Christ, uh, this world is going to fall into a turmoil and a pro tribulation period of time of seven years like we cannot even imagine. You read the book of Revelation, you see the highlights of it, you see the devastation of it, the pain and the turmoil of it, but there's no way to wrap our minds around the seven great years of tribulation. So please, 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 if you don't know Christ, or if you know family members that don't know Christ, start praying for them, uh, talking to them about uh, getting right with God. Don't be overbearing. Be gentle, be kind, but be firm and telling them and speaking the truth in love. Uh, how many of you want to see all of your relatives in heaven? Of course you do. Your family members that may be away from God right now. Um, wow. We've got this. It's a shame that in 1988, somebody had to write a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Was Coming in September of that year, and scared the daylights out of literally probably millions of people, um, backslidden people. And uh, for some reason, that book took hold. I think it was written... Uh, by someone that uh, was very intellectual and analytical. And so they put it together in such a way in their writing that the reasons appeared logical, 88 reasons, and men were captivated by it. And therefore, men were really turning to God. The amazing thing, I had people walk into my office asking to get right with God. I had one woman that was backslidden. She brought her husband, drug him into my office, brought her kids into my office. They're looking like a deer in the headlights. Uh, don't know why they're there. Probably never been to church before. But she years ago served the Lord, grew up in church, totally fell away from God. Now she's back with her family. She's not taking any chances. And yet, the crazy thing was, 
the closer it got to September, was it the 11th that it was supposed to take place? Somewhere around there. Uh, there was two books written, one later. But uh, this one, 88 Reasons, the closer it got, the more people showed up to church. Wednesday night was packed out. The Wednesday before he was to come, it was packed out. People were just coming to church. They were so fearful they were going to miss the rapture. Sundays were a hoot. I mean, people were getting saved like crazy, coming to the altar. Chairs, we had to bring chairs out. And it made me mad. It made me mad to think that some book written by a well-intended guy was having a better response at that least at that time than this book, anointed of the Holy Spirit, full of truth and grace and mercy and the truth of his coming. And it hadn't impacted people's lives like that. Thought, well, um, maybe, maybe God's just using it and thank God for it. But on the Sunday before, it was packed. The following week, we had a good crowd. Next week, a little less. Next week, a little less. In about three months, things had come back to normal. And that is a sad tragedy, to say the least. I pray that some of those that became fearful today are serving God. I hope they are, and I hope they're going to make heaven. I hope all of them didn't fall away. And uh, I want to challenge you. Don't let anything in your life cause you to fall away. That's what's going to happen in the end time. There's going to be a great falling away, and there's going to be a great outpouring, a latter rain, and God is going to move mightily, and many, many, many people will be swept into the kingdom of God. So there are two parallel rivers flowing at the end time. Falling away, uh, a great harvest of souls, and thank God, even through COVID, we are hearing reports that uh, people have come back to God, people have gotten right with God, and uh, here in America, overseas, so I don't know all that God is doing, but God loves people, and God is doing everything he can to draw them to himself. Say amen. Okay. Let me get going here. Uh, the first part of this chapter is about the wicked, wicked rich. Paul certainly was in agreement with uh, James on his caution to those who were rich in this life only. Um, does God want to raise some of you up to be wealthy? I believe so. But I also believe the main reason he wants to raise you up to be wealthy is so that you will be a, a generous giver. That is what God wants. Uh, he doesn't mind you owning or having a lot of money as long as you're a greater channel of blessing in the kingdom of God. So that's what money is for. First and foremost, to honor God and to put him first. First Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich. Now, let me stop right there. 
There is nothing wrong with desiring to be rich if you got the right focus. If you got a biblical attitude, there's nothing wrong with a desire to be rich. But, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition for the love of money. Not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness. See, if people are wanting to be rich because they're greedy, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. And pierce themselves through with many, many sorrows. Uh, listen, we have all at times, no doubt, dreamed about getting wealthy. Um, maybe when the lottery first came out years ago, well, it's been a long time ago now, maybe some of you thought, okay, God, is it okay to play it? And um, even though it fits really in the category uh, possibly of gambling, still, God, is there anything wrong with it? Um, one Christmas, several years ago, I walked into a jewelry store to buy something for Christmas, I guess for Alice. And, um, well, I'm sure it was. Okay. And so anyway, um, or one of my daughters, I don't remember. But when I started to leave, the woman drops a lottery ticket in my bag. And I walk out and I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I had nothing, I didn't buy it. Um, and I'm, I just kept thinking, I'm gonna win the lottery. All the way home, I was thinking, what am I going to do with all this money? It was like a million or so dollars or more. I didn't buy it. Now, part of me was like, boy, I'm going to have to get up at church and tell them, look, I didn't buy this ticket. And there were going to be some like, yeah, right. And uh, they wouldn't believe me. Um, do you realize the guy that first won the largest amount of money in the lottery, the very first guy, that won a million dollars, said he found, he was a Christian, said he found it on the pavement outside a paint store. He paid his tithes on the money. I believe him. But he was not a good advertisement for the state of Florida. And so they went on to somebody else hoping somebody else was really soon going to win the money. But uh, maybe you have tried to uh, do something to get wealthy in a quick moment of time. Let me challenge you. There's nothing wrong with desiring to get rich if, if your attitude is, God, I want to use this for the glory of God. I want to bless the kingdom of God. I want to first of all tithe. You realize a, a million dollars, the tithe is $100,000. You realize that, don't you? So uh, you've never written a hundred. So it's dangerous, though, to fall into the trap of wanting to become rich through quick means uh, like the lottery. Someone came to me when we were starting to build this church, and they said, Pastor, what if? What if uh, we have some people buy lottery tickets? 
and hopefully one of them will win and we can help build the church. I'm like, no, we're not going to do that because we will forever be known as the lottery church. And it is very true. Um, if we had won money and this city had found out that we paid this church because of lottery money, they would have been all over. Oh, yeah, that's the church that lottery money bought. 30 years from now, if the Lord tarry, they'd still be saying, that's a lottery church right over there. So, no, no way, Jose. All right. Anyway, so uh, let's go to uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. The Bible says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust. Now, let me stop right there. Uh, rich is, you know, is, uh, there is no, um, in America, you're probably considered rich if you own a million dollars or have a million dollars. Overseas in some places, you'd be considered rich if you had $10,000. So it's uh, wherever you are, whatever culture you're in, that would define rich. That is why most people in the world look at you and I and they label us rich because we make so much more money than them and they are shocked by the amount of the average American makes and so they label us rich. So anyway, let's look at this. It says uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. Don't ever put your trust in money. Don't ever put your trust in money. It can come and it can go. And um, you uh, cannot put your foundation in money. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. If you have money, and all of us do to some extent, then we should be full of good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. So God is not against money. He is against the love of money, and he is against money for the sake of money spent on us so that we become the focus of the money. But may God help us all. May I pray God's blessing on every one of you. I pray that you increase. I pray that God blesses you. And I pray in doing so that you would become more and more and more generous than you are now. I pray if the Lord tarries that one day your faith promise will be like $10,000 a year. Uh, maybe more. If the Lord uh, tarries and, and years from now, you are tithing, you are honoring God with the missions commitment, you are helping in uh, benevolence, you're helping with Serve Orlando, that's this Saturday, at all three campuses, and serving people, and you are full of good works. That's what pleases God when it comes to you and your money. One of the things I always said, when I get older, I don't want to ever reach a place 
that um, Alice and I cannot continue to give to missions in a great measure. I don't want to, I don't, uh, years ago, I concluded, I don't want to live on Social Security. Pastor Marcos, I'm now 80. Here's my $5 for my monthly. No, I want to be able to say, Pastor Marcos, well, he's going to be old too, if I'm 80. And so I, um, I want to be able to say, here's, uh, here's $300 a month. Here's whatever, even more. And the kingdom of God must be expanded. And my attitude at 80 and 85, oh, that's a long way from now. All right. Needs to be still on the harvest field of this world. Amen. Okay. And money will help make it happen. There's nothing wrong or dirty with money unless it fall, we fall in love with it. Okay. Uh, in the first six Verses James aims to show the character of those possessed by their riches in order to prevent other brothers and sisters from placing all their hopes and desires on earthly things. Most of you are more wealthy right now than you ever even imagined from 20, 30 years ago. And wealth will increase Unless um, those that uh, uh, have a bankrupt economic idea in their mind, like in Venezuela, uh, the leadership down there uh, in that government uh, doesn't know. They are demonically, uh, I'm not saying possessed, but they have cursed God from what I heard from a Venezuela missionary. And... uh, the leadership there and the people are suffering horribly. One of the missionaries here last weekend that Pastor Marcos brought in was from Colombia, but he used to serve and still does ministry in Venezuela. I got around him, and the more he talked, the more I wanted to give. I finally said, I better get out of here. That's what I needed. I just need to leave because I, and the more he talked about the need in Venezuela, the more my heart began to break, the more I thought, dear God, we should give them, we gave them like $30,000 a few months ago, and uh, I just thought, dear God, could we give them enough? Could we help them enough? We have so much. We've been so blessed as individuals and as a church. Uh, That's why, that's the heart of God is to reach people, help people, touch people, lift people's spirits, if we can, through our prayers, through our money, through our efforts uh, of outreach to, to do that. Well, we're not still in our missions convention, but I feel like the residue f- flows over. Um, and uh, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited about the future of missions in this church. The wicked rich, lived in luxury and self-indulgence, and they still do. Um, And so we've got to make sure that we don't slip across that boundary line into self-indulgence where it's about us. And uh, when we get money, we think about how we're going to spend it on us. God has ways of teaching us those things Some years, well, it's been a long time ago now, our second 
before our second uh, son was born. And uh, at the time, um, at the time, we didn't even know that Alice was pregnant. I got a raise. And they gave me a raise of like $50 a week as the youth pastor. And I'm like, wow. That was back then when $50 went a long way, much further than now. And I'm, I'm thinking, Where am, how am I going to spend this? And uh, Alice shows up and she says, um, Carl, I'm pregnant. I'm like, there goes my $50 a week. And I'm like, we had no insurance. There goes that 50. Lord prepared the way. God knew what was going to happen. So he gave us an extra 50, all right, to help uh, pay, the, pay the bill. But that was back when you could, uh, you know, buy a kid for 1600 bucks, you know, in the hospital. Um, that's what it costs, in other words. Okay. Um, the wicked rich condemned and uh, in James chapter 5 verse 6 you have condemned you have murdered the just he does not resist you the wicked rich are preparing themselves for judgment James chapter 5 verse 1 come now you rich weep how for your miseries that are coming upon you wow then there is the waiting righteous in James chapter 5, verse 7, it changes gears. The early church lived in the expectation of the immediate return of Jesus Christ. Remember when Christ first was resurrected, the church was greatly persecuted. They fled to um, other places. The church spread out, and in spreading out, they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, even though the pressure was there, God used it to spread his gospel. And as a result of that, they went everywhere. Most of them were poor. But eventually, eventually, um, Christianity was accepted in certain parts of the world. And as a result of that, uh, they began to live a better life overall. And, um, but at the same time, there was an expectation that Christ could come back at any moment. James declared, and I believe James believed that Christ was going to come back during his lifetime. We know Paul did because Paul said, and those of us who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds. James or believed he was going to be raptured during his life. Paul certainly did. So here are the early disciples, followers of Christ. They believe Christ is coming back during their lifetime. And now, here it is. About to be 2022, all these years later, Christ has not come back, but don't doubt for a moment Christ is not coming back. He is coming back, and he's coming back for a church that uh, is prepared uh, to meet him. So they live with that expectation. That's why Maranatha, the Lord cometh. And that was a greeting that they would greet each other with in the early church. Maranatha. In other words, Christ is coming back. And they believed it with all their heart. 
in James or John chapter 14, verse 3, says, And if I go, prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, Christ is coming back. Don't let anything ever dissuade you otherwise. Uh, there are three illustrations that James used. Now, let me quickly give them to you. James 5, verse 7, the farmer. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, um, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. The latter rain, the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the earth. And so God help us to realize, uh, though it looks like, and some would believe, is he really coming back? Is he really coming back? James is saying, be like the farmer. Be patient. Don't give up. Know that the crop is going to come up. Know that Christ is coming back. Then the prophets in James chapter 5, verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And so here we are all these years later, we are patiently waiting on the return of Christ. So God help us to realize that this is going to happen. Um, when I was in college, secular college, before I went to Bible college, uh, I had a class, and it was a great class. It was speech class. And I really loved that class. It was small. Uh, the teacher, I, I liked her to start with. And um, she came to a place where she was giving us different subjects, and I came up with the great idea to give a speech in a secular college on the second coming of Christ. And so I get up there and I gave this speech about Christ uh, and Christians and Christ is coming back and it's real. And I felt so good about it. And I sat down and um, the teacher uh, began to basically mock me make fun of me and say, people have been talking about that forever and it still hasn't happened. And I, I just slipped down in my seat further and further. I was humiliated. I was ashamed, really. Even though there was one other girl that was like, yeah, that was good. Uh, and yet that teacher, uh, she either gave me a F or a D minus, one or the other. Uh, actually, it was a really good speech, but I didn't know the scripture. I really didn't know the scripture at the time because uh, if I had, I could have opened it up to somewhere like first or yeah, Second Peter chapter three. I could have said, teacher, can I read something? Um, let me read this. And I could have read um, 
that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, teacher, first, that scoffers like you will come in the last day. According to their own lust, of course, I wouldn't have done it that way, but if I could have just lovingly shared, you're a scoffer. You're not going to go to heaven. But saying, where? Here it is, verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Isn't that what you just said? Yes. Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers will come. Let them scoff. I said, let them scoff. Don't let, they're scoffing already, okay? America has turned into a nation of scoffers uh, that scoff at the truth of the gospel, but we don't hate them. We, we, God help us to not get even mad at them. It's the devil speaking through them. It's the devil influencing their lives. So we don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against CNN. Nope. We don't fight against the other networks. We fight against an enemy that desires to take them and us to eternal damnation. But... We're not going to bow to their scoffing. We're not going to bow to the untruth that Christ's word is not true. We are going to cling tenaciously the more and closer the time becomes or comes. The closer we come to Christ's return, the more we cling to God's word. The more we know, hey, beat me, kill me, stone me ridicule me, mock me, but I'm not going to bow the, to the truth. I'm not going to bow to the untruth. I'm going to bow to the truth of God's word always and forever, 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 forever. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.